there. Just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast or even watch it on YouTube. I would love to hear what you think. I would love to get any suggestions and understand what kind of content you're looking forward to hearing more about. So please rate, please comment, please subscribe. And if you leave a review for the podcast, you'll get a freebie for efficient goal setting. So make sure to do that. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the podcast, She is Fab, where we discuss all things fab, women empowerment, and life coaching. My name is Evelyn, also known as the Fab Chief Desk, and I am a mindset transformation coach. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Janice Eisman, who is the owner of My Body Couture. Welcome. Hello. I'm so glad to have you here today. Your story is very inspirational and very unique. So I'm excited to get into uh, all about you. But let's start with My Body Couture. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'm a movement specialist and I primarily help people feel better in their body. And what that really means is that I work with people who have body aches and pains that weren't caused by some sort of impact injury, such as an accident. So Broadly speaking, people come to me because their back hurts, their neck hurts, their knee hurts, their hip hurts, their foot hurts, you name it. I've seen it all. (laughs) And they have often been to another specialist. So they have often been to massage or chiropractic or acupuncture. And while all those are really, really great disciplines, I actually refer clients back and forth to those practitioners. What my particular client base finds is that they get temporary relief and then they go back to the rest of their life and their neck hurts, the back hurts, their knee hurts. <laughs> but sometimes that's actually somebody who wants to do athletics and sometimes that's people who just want to live or want to travel or want to, you know, get out in the garden. So I often describe myself as kind of that center of the Venn diagram between a physiotherapist and a personal trainer. So we, my job really is about helping you feel really good in a way that you can sustain and then get out there and move your body. And for different people, that's going to look like really traditional exercise formats. And for other people, you know, that's going to be raising kids and taking walks. So we, we really do customize solutions for people based on their lifestyle. And really it's all about 
getting people in a place where their bodies feel as free and as easy as they did when they were 10. That's great. So obviously, you know, mental health is important, but so is physical health. So you're providing a great service. I know that there is a lot of education you went through to yes. offer these individual services <laughs> yes. and help folks with their uh, physical health. And I know that it was prompted by your own experience. So you want to tell us about that, how you went from one to the other? Yeah, I had a completely different career in the middle, but the genesis of my business, as many business owners will tell you, especially in the personal service industry, I really created the kind of business to provide a solution that wasn't available for me at a time when I had a problem. So many, many years ago, I started running and I didn't have a traditional athletic background. So when I started running my body, actually what I know now is that my body didn't actually have the appropriate musculature to actually sustain that activity. So I got injured and it came in the form of a really common injury called runner's knee. So basically my knee really started hurting um, and it, and it would hurt when I sat and it would hurt when I went up and down stairs and it, and it did get to the place where it was disruptive to my life. So after that experience, I started the cycle that I just described to you, which is where I went to different professionals to seek help. And I went to sports doctors and I went to massage therapists and I went to a rolfer and I went here and I went there and I went everywhere and found the same experience that I just described. So that's why I work with people in the way I do, because I had that experience myself. And eventually one of the techniques that actually really helped me was Pilates and it built that deep strength around my joints. I, it offered me flexibility. So many years later, um, that was actually my first certification. And I still use that as one of my techniques and as part of my little blend today, because Pilates actually is one of the best techniques for developing core strength. We all know that. Um, but essentially I really started at that point on a path of almost a, a obsessive exploration about the body. It wasn't something that I was doing as a career path or as a side hustle. It was something that I was really just deeply curious about. And so for years I would buy all the books, you know, I have in, in my studio, I have an entire closet filled with books and people always come in and they're like, have you read all these? And I'm like, yes, this is like, you know, 20 years in the making here. Um, but both in nutritious nutrition and fitness. And it was just a deep fascination mm -hmm. with how the body works and what we're eating and how we're moving. And that of course has morphed over the years. And then I started taking certifications and those were never meant to be, again, it was never a career shift. It was a curiosity and ultimately it was rooted in how do I help myself? I, I don't have an easy body. I don't have an easy time with my body. None of this comes naturally. I'm not somebody who you demonstrate an exercise to, and then I just, you know, do it. And everything that I have had to experience is deconstructing and ripping things apart and figuring out how to live in my own body and how to actually make exercise comfortable and how mm -hmm. to age and all of these things. So I really bring to my clients that piece of it, which is this zero part of this is easy for me. And it's why my brain kept going to how, how, how <laughs> what can I do? Um, <laughs> that is so interesting because I find that the best businesses 
are founded by individuals who are solving a problem that they themselves have, that they themselves closely relate to. So yeah. you having that experience has allowed you to now curate a service for your clients based on what you know and what yeah. you experienced. That's exactly um, so right. We alluded a little bit earlier to a transition. So obviously I know because I've had a chance to talk to yes. <laughs> and look at her website, which is, by the way, mybodycouture.com. Um, her background is very interesting. She didn't always start. She didn't start in this uh, in this business. This wasn't her uh, career path. She actually no. worked for Harper's Bazaar magazine, yeah. which yeah. is amazing, by the way. So tell us about that. Tell us uh what happened there, what your role was there, and then what caused that transition for you from working in that field to what you're doing now? Yeah. So I want to add another little layer to that story. I grew up on a farm. So, I mean, this was an, a bit of an unlikely story in terms of I went from a farm in rural Canada to living and working in New York City and working in the, you know, fashion media, in the fashion niche of the media. Um, and so that wasn't an instant overnight thing, but essentially in the years when I referenced that I had the running injury, actually I was a university student. So I was getting my bachelor of commerce, which is a nice name for a business degree. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, that was in the years before the vision board. So I always really had that more creative streak and I loved magazines my whole life, probably since the first time somebody put a magazine near me, I was like, this is good. I like these. Um, and so I would cut out little pictures and even back in those days, it's interesting because I, you know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but mm-hmm. one of the things that I actually pasted into that little booklet, um, which was a a little mini vision board was to own a Pilates studio. And yet nothing in my brain or in my intellectual pathway actually did that. So you manifested um, it. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. So instead what I did is I got my degree and then I started immediately working in marketing and every job I had in marketing just whittled down my interest and my niche more and more and more until we got to the kind of Harper's Bazaar end of it. I started with a broad marketing job. And then with that, I was like, wow, you know, I really like the advertising component. So I moved to Toronto and cold called my way into what I, you know, thought was going to be my dream job in advertising. And it wasn't. Um, I was the optimal candidate on paper, but the actual job wasn't, it wasn't something that I actually enjoyed, but what I got out of that experience, because advertising agencies do multimedia, they do print, they do TV, they do radio. And I really was like, oh yeah, this magazine thing is where it's at. So I want to have a career in that. And then I started working my way into that career transition. And that was, you know, I was in Toronto and that was a really lengthy path to get there. And then from that point, I whittled my niche again. So that was a career that was very specifically chosen. It was years in the making and it was something that I really enjoyed. I was super passionate about it. It was amazing and I loved it. And then in the background of my life, um, I actually was 
playing out this hobby and passion for health and fitness. And they actually were really great kind of yin and yang opposites because the media business, I can't speak to what it is today, but certainly in those days, not really a basis or foundation of health. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe overworking. Yeah. And it's a business that involves a lot of schmoozing and alcohol and appetizers Mm. and (laughs) late nights and things like that. And, you know, that's part of what I loved about it. It was a lot, it's it's a really high people business, which is, you know, when I do the Myers-Briggs personality test, I'm 87% extrovert. So I was like, this is, (laughs) so you should thrive in that environment. Exactly. (laughs) So, um, essentially, I actually was getting to that transition moment where I was living in Toronto, but knew that I was moving to New York and taking that next step of my career. And the world's largest global Pilates headquarters is actually in Toronto. So I was like, oh yeah, this old Pilates dream, let's either dust this off or take it off the list. And so I spent the next year working my day job and then literally getting on my bicycle at night and biking up a very long hill to get to this Pilates studio and doing my training. And so that doesn't actually answer your question about the jump, but that's kind of how those two worlds started to merge. Then I moved to New York and continued to do the same thing. Only I took different trainings. I took different instructor trainings and I took a nutrition training and I took a Yamada body rolling training. And in my head, this was, you know how we all have hobbies. That was, that was it. So in my daytime life, which that was a career that kind of started, let's call it 10 in the morning to 10 at night. So it wasn't really Mm -hmm. a traditional day job. Yeah. A lot of time invested there. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you, anybody who lives in New York will tell you that that's kind of how that world works. Um, And so I was doing this job in this career that I really loved and brought me a lot of joy and happiness and, and it was exciting and it was everything that I wanted. And then I entered a phase where because it was 10 AM to 10 at night and because it was lots of drinking and canapage and schmoozing, I was like, you know, I wouldn't mind having a bit of a personal life. (laughs) I wouldn't mind having, you know, to this day, I still have friends from the business in those days, many of whom live in New York, many of whom don't, but I met mostly other people who were professional contacts from that sphere. Mm -hmm. But, and then I had my kind of health and fitness buddies, but I really was like, you know, I just wouldn't mind having a night out that wasn't a party or wasn't. Mm-hmm. you know, getting sent to some opening. <laughs> well, not to mention you wanted to have a work-life balance, right? I know yes. as a former, you know, East Coaster in New York City, it's a very fast-paced lifestyle. It so is. I can understand that, especially in the industry that you were in. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so these weren't, these weren't pervasive thoughts. They weren't something where I was like sitting at my desk being like, oh my God, I have to get out of here. It was just that seed, the seed hadn't yet germinated, but it was that seed. And um, I actually ended up quitting one of my jobs because I thought, well, maybe, maybe I am going to jump. Maybe I'm going to move from 
this career to that career. <laughs> and I, and I reversed directions and went back, um, after a few months because I just, I wasn't actually ready. So the big moment of transition actually was I had a baby. <laughs> and so that was actually the exit. And I mean, on a rational level as well, media, the media business changed from the day I entered to what it is today has, you know, that's added another, another number of years. But when I entered, mm -hmm. we were still very much living in the landscape of traditional media, which was everything I loved. And I exited kind of in those transition years where things were moving digitally. No one knew really what to do or how to execute it or who was responsible or what was happening. Um, and so it was actually the perfect time to exit because my skill set needed to be changed. And I was in a position where, you know, that personal life desire and the desire, like you said, to have that work-life balance was actually not even, not even a desire anymore. It was a necessity. Um, right. And quite honestly, I looked at my life and recognized that there, you know, it's not a judgment for other people, but for me, I didn't really want to have a nanny to come in and have to handle all those after hours. I, I, I'm I fully on board with you on that. I didn't um, want that. As a, you know, for folks who are parents, I believe, and this is my belief, not to affect anyone else's beliefs, but that first year, especially of bonding with your child is so important and relying on an outside source for that care, at least for me, causes anxiety. So I, I'm in alignment yeah. with you on that. Yeah, so I had a massive, I call it like a snow globe on my life. I changed cities, I changed countries, I changed careers, um, and I did all of that in like literally an instant and started a brand new life with an infant. And I actually am a lone parent, so it was you know, I'm not, I'm not sure that I would like a hundred percent write that down on a list and be like, oh, this is how you should start a business. But I think it was just, there was, I was at a natural kind of transition age where, um, we are moving out of a certain phase of life and I was more into, you know, I had a baby. So mm -hmm. this wasn't kind of going to work. <laughs> yeah. But in the meantime, I really, I did have something that I would say is a good way to start a business, which is I had done all that training. I had the certifications already. And I did that while I had that paycheck. I had actually, we call it these days, we call it a side hustle, but I, from the second I was in Toronto and took that first certification, I, I couldn't work in a facility. So I started mm -hmm having clients come to my apartment and having clients come to the gym in the condo where I lived. So I had already okay. done that kind of entrepreneurial route. And so by the time I actually opened up business, I knew what results I could get for clients. I knew how to blend the techniques together. I knew kind of what really excited me in terms of, um, wow, I can solve this problem for clients. I knew what to charge and none of it was really intentional in this kind of strategic, let's write it down. And this is, this is my 10 year mm -hmm. path. But looking back on it, I was like, oh yeah, like I invested in equipment and books and training and, um, and, and having that side hustle in years when I had that protection and frankly, another passion to kind of keep me going. So I wasn't mm -hmm. counting down the days to leave. It was really 
it was really having a baby that was the catalyst for, for making that shift. So you had a couple of good things going on. Uh, Well, one, you had that seed already sort of growing that was planted with wanting to potentially transition to something else because the industry was changing. You wanted that work-life balance. And as you said, ultimately, having a baby was the catalyst to make that decision. But you also had preparation because you had all these certifications. You've already worked with clients. It, It was one of your major hobbies still is right? Cause that's your business. Yeah. Um, so in a sense you were also prepared. Yes. Oh, for, for sure. Transition. I would absolutely say yes. So right. sometimes I think, I mean, people have asked me about that transition moment, but that preparation is actually key because I think had I had to, especially with a baby, but had I had to start over from scratch and start that certification process, we would be having a different conversation right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you mentioned that, okay, you had all that, which is great. You were prepared. You already worked in that field in some way, shape or form. So that really helped you. But then you had a transition, right? Where you're now moving to a different country. So talk to us about that. Was there any sort of hesitation, any sort of fear around that? Um, it was actually necessary. So I was a lone parent and, you know, it, my career was not going to stay the same. Um, I wasn't going to be able to, I, I mean, I don't even know how people do it, but take on corporate leases in New York city that <laughs> no. <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was the obvious, move. I can't say that it came with a lot of hesitation. It was actually really only later when I was like, Ooh, I probably should. <laughs> I probably should have actually, um, had a little bit more of that. Mm-hmm. Now, would you say in, in making that move, did you have a support system that would help you with that transition? Uh, was it an easy setup to go from living, you know, in New York city to then living in Calgary? No, I think I didn't, I didn't really anticipate that either because, you know, I, and I did my, my life and my support system was in New York city. Um, my sister lives in Calgary. So what that offered me was support in a long-term sense with my child, which again, I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation without that. So my friends in New York city were really helpful and supportive with a baby, but that's, you know, one year of help and support as opposed to a lifetime. You know, yeah, that long <laughs> term your sister. That, that only auntie is gonna do. And my sister has a child who's who's two years older than my my child. So there was you know it, it <laughs> Yeah. Yes, exactly. Those two have kind of grown up as little faux siblings. And so it it was actually it was not an easy transition. Um, and because, because there was so many different things going on, I mean, I, I think almost everybody who's had a baby can tell you that that's a lengthy transition because your identity as a woman changes, your role in society changes, you mm-hmm. become a caretaker, et cetera. There's a, there's a lot there that takes a lot of time to kind of unpack and move through and try to figure out what's going on. But then I also was simultaneously becoming a business owner. The loss of my career identity was actually fairly significant because that was, that was, that takes time and you have to kind of unravel and unpack that. And although people are like, oh, wow, that's exciting. You own a business. It is now, but, 
but when you're first going through that, it is, you know, I think people, even in your support network, it's, it's not something that people instantly adopt and start treating you like a business owner. It, it takes time. You have to just right. like every other industry, you cultivate that reputation, you cultivate that longevity, you cultivate that reputation. So that's not instant. Then I was, you know, transitioning to the loss of my social network. I didn't know anyone here except my sister. Um, mm-hmm. So that was really different. That 87% extrovert wasn't into that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then just, you know, changing countries, which on some level should have been easy. I moved back to Canada, but Mm -hmm. it actually was harder than what I had imagined because in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just going home. But, um, if you've ever heard of reverse culture shock, that was happening. (laughs) So I think that, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on in it and it's hard to strand one thing out from the other, but you know, it was not easy. There was nothing easy about that. So you made a good point when you talked about your identity, right? And having to shift from one persona or one identity to another based on what was changing in your life, you know, career, having a baby, moving to another country. Can you expand more on some of the emotions that are brought up in you? Maybe um, anything to do with your esteem or confidence or imposter syndrome, what range of emotions were you going yeah. through during that whole transition? Yeah, I think, I think especially on the career piece, um, when we hand someone a business card, especially quite honestly, if we're, if we're at this position where we work for a company that we're really proud of, that has a reputation that, you know, you named it in the intro. We, we have brand familiarity with that. There's automatically doors open, handshake, things like that. And it, and it's not something I created. That's just the way it is. And then to take that away and put my name on a business card and have none of that kind of security was it, it it did create imposter syndrome because I'm like, yeah, I signed a lease on this place, but I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) And no one has built that reputation. No one has heard of the brand. No one, it means nothing. You hand it to someone and it, I mean, it felt to me like I wasn't even, you know, I wasn't even secure in that. And so I went from something that was rock solid that people recognize that has a reputation that it did open doors to, you know, that same phone call from, hi, I just started a business a month ago. Doesn't mean the same thing. And, and your phone calls don't get returned and et cetera. And so it has nothing to do with you as a human being. It's just something that's actually quite external in how other people respond. But what that did for me was it just made the whole transition, like even a little shakier because Mm -hmm. there wasn't that sort of trampoline underneath me. There wasn't that corporate security and that brand name where if I called someone, well, they already knew, you know, it's the difference between a cold call and a, and a warm connection. So if you're to send Mm -hmm. in a resume, that someone inside the company has already said, oh, this is my friend. You should look at this resume versus a blind resume. Right. They'll and, give it more time and attention when it's coming from somebody they know. Correct. 
And so what I found was just, it had nothing to do with reality, but it did shake my confidence a little bit. And I did feel like, do I deserve a place at the, you know, especially in the early days, I didn't feel like I was actually an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not sure what I thought I needed to actually take that place and claim it, but it wasn't simply just printing out a business card and tossing up a website. It was a whole mental shift to this is what I do this. I'm taken seriously doing this. People know I do this. My reputation is doing this. And, and I say that from the perspective, even of I had done this in the background of my life for six years. So I wasn't doing that kind of cold cut where all of a sudden I had this new thing. Um, I don't think there's a person who knew me that didn't know that I did this on, you know, on the side. So even with all that, there was definitely those self doubts. There was, what am I doing? Do people respect this? How do I actually make this serious and get taken seriously, et cetera. That's what's even more interesting because yes, you transitioned from one career path to another, but the fact is that this was your hobby. You have been doing it for years. You had seen clients already. You had all these certifications and yet somehow there was still some doubt or some feelings with regarding your authority and expertise. Um, So I find that quite interesting because normally we're taught that the more time you do something, the more authority and expertise you have. And so the more confident you should feel in providing a service, right? But in your case, you, you really, you had all of that. It's just that now you were, you are your own business, your own entity. Yes. And it's simple because I think when a position of authority, which could be a corporation grants you permission, you take it. When you're an entrepreneur, you have to grant that permission to yourself. And there's a huge difference between I can take a seat at this table versus my boss at my company has now promoted me into that seat and trusts me. I love that statement. That one small statement says so much, right? Us giving ourselves the permission to be that authority, to, to take charge, to put that power out there versus, you know, the comfortability of having somebody else dictate what you do. Yes. And I think, I think this is, uh, it's a, I mean, I think this is a whole conversation for women that is different than for men, but I also think that we are societally taught that we wait for permission from others and our school systems teach that. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't, but you know, I have a child who goes to school and that's what we do from the age of kindergarten, preschool, even we sit and we wait for the authority figure to grant us instructions. So then as an adult, of course, it's going to be hard to just be like, no, I totally, I'm going to self-assign. I'm going to designate. I'm going to actually sit and have gravitas about this and give myself permission. I don't need to ask someone if I can go to the washroom. I don't need to, um, because I mean, my son went to school when he was four. So, you know, if he's, if he's 34, when he becomes an entrepreneur, that's 30 years of conditioning to try to Mm -hmm. strip off and stop waiting for someone else's permission and give it to your damn self. 
<laughs> right. Well, let's be realistic here. Societal norms, um, there's a big difference in how men are treated and how men operate versus how women are treated and how women operate. We yes. essentially are taught to be a bit uh, more meek yeah. to, as you said, wait for instruction and yeah. kind of have to behave in a certain feminine yep. way, yep. which is not the expectation that they have of men. No, it's so that's that no. conditioning that we have too. Yep. Women are to be of service in our society, which means that it is typically much harder for women to stand in power and say, I am here and I deserve this. And there is a lot of research that shows that that is the case. Women have a harder time negotiating salaries. Women have a harder time negotiating contracts and being not only being taken more seriously, but also being more assertive in those conversations and having them. So That's I think so that it it is it's a double layer for women to try to actually grant permission. And I actually found as well that I had guilt about, you know, I was moving out of a corporate structure. And to be fair too, it was a, it was a fluid corporate structure. It's not like I showed up at the office at nine and left at five and sat at my desk and had my one hour lunch break. Like I, I had a role where I could basically structure my time however I wanted. I was in and out of the office a ton. I didn't have to report all of that to my boss. It was results-based and not kind of where accountability-based. Mm-hmm. So it was it was even more of what I would call an entrepreneurial corporate role. But I felt mm-hmm. a lot of guilt in those early days about taking lunch. I felt guilt about... Um, working alternative hours. I felt Mm -hmm. guilt about doing anything personal during the day, even though it certainly didn't strike me as something to be guilty about if I was working till 10 at night. So I think that just having that entrepreneurial lifestyle too, where our personal life and our business life are, they're more aligned and they're more merged. I really struggled Mm -hmm. to kind of be like, how do I actually give myself permission to have a personal life in certain ways? Mm-hmm. What do you think that some of that guilt stemmed from? I find that because I've, I've experienced that myself or um, obviously, well, at least in corporate structure where I've worked, it's been, okay, these are your hours. Um, you, you're accountable for your day, whereas yours was more fluid. But even so, I still had guilt around like, you know, taking my lunch. So where do you think that stemmed from for you? Um, you know, I, I definitely grew up with messaging that what I did and what I accomplished was at the end of it, that's what the value was. It's not who I am or my heart or my feelings or, you know, not those kind of soft skills. It's like, Mm -hmm. what value are you adding? What are you accomplishing? Let's get this out on the table. And um, I I mean, so in some level, like the language we use around this now is like self-worth and Mm -hmm. my self-worth from conditioning was definitely tied to accomplishments. And so it was, it was, and remains to this day, really hard to just be like, no, my self-worth isn't just being, not doing. But Mm -hmm. I felt that coupled with that societal, I don't know if it's pressure is the right word, but there's a lot of conversation in society about work ethic and what we're always taught. And this is really a, a very masculine energy principle 
but it's productivity where we make the, you know, we make the grid and we put urgent and important and, you know, whatever. Um, and we've got our smart goals and we've got all of these things. And, and there's just a lot of conversation about productivity and the classic American story is a hard up person who just pull themselves up by the bootstraps and works hard and then is a success. And so I think that that narrative was definitely present in every way possible as well is just, well, you know, the way to succeed as an entrepreneur is to work hard. And if you, and I guess, I guess on a level I thought, well, if my business fails, it's probably because I didn't work hard enough. And that could be because mm-hmm. I took lunch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's so funny you say that because for me, I had a wake up moment working in corporate where, you know, I would overwork, I would go beyond my hours, I would eat at my desk and not take my lunch. And obviously that takes a toll on your mental health, right? As well as your physical health. But I had a wake up call where I really started to see how the company operated, how it treated its employees. And we had like a massive round of layoffs. And I was like, wait a minute. Some of these folks that were laid off had made major contributions to the organization, have been here for years, you know, uh, had massive tenure, and they were just cut like that. And I realized that no matter what an organization preaches, you are essentially providing a service. You are a number. At the end of the day, the concern for your well-being and your health is on you. It's on the organization. That's right. So that was my wake-up call to, to shift how I conducted my day and how I viewed work ethic. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, our society doesn't actually really require us to actually be adults when it comes to productivity and work. We, we remain actually in that sort of let's have authority figures figure it out for us. And that, that doesn't exist in other areas of society. We, we are, homeowners, we are responsible for our health, we're responsible for all these other things. And this isn't to say that I, you know, that that was kind of a blanket statement, but there are definitely people who climb up that corporate ladder. But I think it is definitely still a different box of responsibility, a different box of adulthood, a different box of ownership. So for most people, um, you know, let's be truthful here, it's not usually the CEO that quits and transitions into being an entrepreneur. There, there's some kind of common ages and stages and phases when people leave and make that transition, but often it's in those first 20 years of work. And so I think in a lot of ways we haven't really stepped into that sense of responsibility, accountability, independence in the way that we probably have in other areas of our life. Right. Because that's, that's not what's like challenging. That's why it's so challenging for entrepreneurs, right? Because if you've worked in corporate, if you've taken, you know, direction from another individual in the workforce, then you're not really prepared for that mindset shift. But now it's all on you. The onus accountability, everything is dependent on you. So it can be more challenging when you have that paradigm versus when like, okay, you just got out of college. I'm going to start my own business versus like I've been in corporate for 15 years. Yeah, no, totally. And I think it's, um, you know, Young adults go to college or university and it's a common experience to live in a dorm. And that's, I, I did that. And it, you know, the way I would describe that experience is it's a whole bunch of people having that same experience where none of us knew what we were doing. 
my mom did teach me how to cook and do the laundry and all of that stuff. But there's a huge difference between teaching me how to do it and all of a sudden, oh, like literally no one else is doing this. So, <laughs> and so, you know, I remember in those, in those dorm years, I once literally lit a kitchen on fire. Uh, everything was fine, but there was definitely a fire, like with actual flames. You know, you, you turn your, your laundry pink at least once and you, you have those kind of crash ups, but you're in this kind of intermediate space. But the reality is that for almost all of us, there is no dorm room living scenario where we go from corporate work to being an entrepreneur. And I think that's why business coaches are so essential because we have that softer space, that transition window to land in when we do that educational shift and that, that young adult shift. And we have that grace to be able to make mistakes. But all of Mm -hmm. a sudden, when we're talking about that entrepreneurial shift, we have hundreds of thousands of dollars at at stake. We have our careers at stake and there isn't that kind of like, Oh, it's cool that you just lit the kitchen on fire. Yeah, no, (laughs) it's definitely a a lot more risk uh, for the reward and also involves a lot more um, accountability, a lot more careful consideration to the next steps that you're taking. Right. Yeah. So as a mother, as an entrepreneur with her own business, as a woman who transitioned from one career to another and moved to another country, what advice would you give for someone who is aspiring to transition to have their own business? Well, one of the things that I think actually was super helpful was all of that, where I didn't actually have a backup plan. I had a child. So like, you know, bottom line is this had to work. There was no possibility of it not working. I, I had someone else to take care of and I didn't Mm -hmm. have a partner or spouse. So I'm a lone parent and I had actually (laughs) like it or not, you know, I had, accidentally walked away from my former career in terms of, I mean, that was purposeful, but I had accidentally walked away from it in the sense that when I moved, it wasn't like I could just call up my old colleagues or call up my old boss and be like, Ooh, Hey, I'm just having like a couple lean months. Can I just pick up a quick contract here? Mm -hmm. And so I actually think in some ways there needs to be that moment for all of us. I I've known a lot of um, entrepreneurs and some of them even being in my space where it's not quite a full commitment. It's always the, well, if this doesn't work out, here's my backup plan or, well, my husband has another income or there's always something that is just like a little padding on the walls. And I Mm -hmm. think that if we're going to actually seriously be entrepreneurs and really move into that, into that space of I'm an entrepreneur we actually have to remove the other options. <laughs> mm-hmm. And no I safety think, nets. <laughs> yeah, no safety nets, no trampolines, no side hustles. We have to actually go there. And it's an incredibly emotional experience. And there's an incredible transition that we may even want to resist. But I think if we can actually 100% commit, I mean, we do it in parenting. There's no take backs. And that doesn't mean that we can't get support. That doesn't mean that we can't get help. That doesn't mean that I think someone should go bankrupt having no other options, but it moves us from that space of, I can always take this side, side exit to 
I have to get creative and figure it out. I have to solve right. the problem that's in front of me. I have to, you know, I was a lone parent, like it was self-financed. This wasn't easy. So, mm-hmm. you know, there was some, some definite financial struggles and lean times and dark days on the financial end of it. But that enforced creativity, it enforced problem solving It enforced kind of that gun to my head where it's like, okay, do you still even want to do this? And I think that that's Mm -hmm. actually really critically important is that we can't, if we're actually going to step fully into that role, step in, make sure you're ready before you step, but step. Yeah. So in most cases, uh, folks tend to have some sort of safety net or or padding, whether it's a secondary income or working still a full-time job or even a part-time job or having a support system that can kind of, you know, uh, back you up. But in the event that, you know, you don't have that, obviously for you, that catalyst, it was uh, sink or swim, right? Like or those, swim. Are, those are your options. Yep. So as an individual who may have a safety net, you are behooven to, as you said, commit, go all in, find that why that is going to really push you to move through and not fall back on that safety net. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I added diversified income streams later. I added, I now have a side hustle, but I took all that away there because I think when you're in those development years, those first couple of years, it does need your full attention. You need to learn. You need to actually experience some of that transition. You actually need to be there. You can't be kind of head half in, head half out, half committed, half not committed. You actually need to to actually really be there. And I'm not suggesting that you need to make this uncomfortable and painful and strip off all your, you know, your support network or anything like that. But, but I do think that, you know, you're not actually ready for that jump. If you're feeling like you need a thousand side hustles to kind of make sure that everything's okay. Right. Cause you can't then, grow the business. Right. And then in terms of uh, tools and resources, are there any recommendations you have for the audience on some tools and resources that might have helped you during your transition or even now as an entrepreneur? Um, I actually have always had life coaches, health coaches, and, and business coaches. So I actually feel like one of the most important things as an entrepreneur is our own sense of groundedness, knowing who we are, working through our stuff. Entrepreneurship is super different than corporate work because our identities are not, our identities are wrapped in the success of that business. And Mm -hmm. we don't simply shut the office door at five, go home, enjoy the weekend and don't think about it until Monday. And certainly, I mean, I'm, I'm not suggesting that everyone in the corporate world does that either, but at the end of it, we're not typically holding that responsibility. So I often actually, because my son and my business have, you know, more or less, they're the same age, give or take. Um, it's, it's like having a second child where when we're a parent, we don't just shut the door and say, okay, it's weekend, just click the brain off. You mm-hmm. lay in bed at night and you think through problems and you have that sense of responsibility. And so I actually really had to come to a place where it all had to be in alignment. And part of that for me was, 
you know, you have to work through your own stuff. You have to work through your own emotional capacities. And that's something I've never heard talked about, but you have to have that resilience. You have Mm -hmm. to have proper emotional responses so that when you don't have that income, you don't jump to panic and start to, you know, (laughs) run out the door. You have to, yeah, like you have to actually sit with those emotions of pain and fear and overwhelm and panic and be able to respond to those things. There's always going to be, you know, we always talk about these great things that happen in business, but we need those, that emotional grounding. And so we actually often have to work through the skeletons in our own closet. You get to that that basement, you think you're done, then you (laughs) pick up the skeleton, realize there's another subfloor and you keep working. So actually, although there's a lot of advice to outsource um, you know, to hire accountants and hire cleaners and things like that. I actually remain, um, you know, I, I keep responsibility for those things. I don't love mm-hmm. those things, but I do them. And then, and then dedicate that extra resourcing to emotional and business support for myself, as opposed mm-hmm. to outsourcing the tasking. Tasking is easy. The, <laughs> the, things that a coach gives you, that's work. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that you have shared with us uh, how you have worked through some of your inner work that helps in turn your business and the resources, meaning the various coaches you've worked with to help create that space so that you can focus on your business. I know if different folks go about it different ways, but one yeah. of the things that I preach is that if you can't be accountable for yourself and you need help, Definitely reach out to those external sources, whatever they may be. Absolutely. And I think, I think, you know, we all actually need a certain level of accountability. I'm a self-starter, but there are times when, you know, if I'm going through an emotionally tough time, it's really easy just to get totally stuck in the weeds in that and then emerge a week later. And I'm like, oh, shoot. And no one, like, I don't have a boss who's like, hey, where are your deliverables this week? Yeah. Right. So you. that happens to me too. I'm like, ah, <laughs> I should probably get on that. <laughs> right. And so while I'm grateful for that opportunity to actually do that self-work, I think it's, it's, it's critically important to have it, you know, a coach of some kind who's like, um, you know, it's, it's even just logging into the meeting. I'm like, Oh boy, better like get that. <laughs> get, get, um, and so, and, it, and it's super different than a boss employee relationship because they're not invested in whether I actually did the thing I said I was going to do last week. They're invested in the process and right. that process is, okay, what worked, what didn't work and why, and how can we tweak it so that it either works or we just take it off the list. Cause maybe you've had that on the list for 12 weeks and you're not actually doing it. So like, really? Yeah. Um, time management skills and mm-hmm. emotional skills and mindset skills. And, you know, there's, there's a lot in coaching that I think, again, we talk to business owners about accounting and cleaning and virtual assistant services, but you can't get anything done when you're when you're not organized and when you're not accountable and when you're dealing mm-hmm. with emotions that are overwhelming and when you're dealing with imposter syndrome and um, panic and fear and, you know, anger and 
All you hit the nail on the head. That's one thing that I preach. People are so quick to, okay, I'm going to put an action plan. I'm going I'm to work towards this goal. i got to set up this website or whatever activity that they're working on. They have this massive list of to-dos, but the internal work, the internal organization hasn't happened. And so you're already setting yourself up for a bump, if not failure, down the road you're taking. And the actual reason is because in a corporate structure, that doesn't matter because there's enough momentum there that even if you're kind of having an emotionally off week, well, your boss is going to be calling you for that 1 PM meeting and you've got to have a deliverable Mm -hmm. when you're on your own. You can always do it tomorrow. You can always put it off and there isn't that momentum. There isn't that group think there isn't that tribe around you. So (laughs) the, the, Work that you get to do internally is actually, I think it's one of the most satisfying parts about being an entrepreneur, but it also is really easy to get stuck there or not have right. the resources or skills to even know where to look to find the solution. And I think exactly. that, you know, there's tons of free stuff out there, but you have to have somebody to walk the path with you and have a structure and have just like the work I do, you know, people can go on the internet and do and put together their own plans for free, but it doesn't mean it's an effective plan. I have spent 14 years now looking at clients and the results I can get them. Someone can walk into that room and I can actually pretty much guess, okay, you know, this is going to be a three session solution, or this is going to be a three month or three year solution. And Mm -hmm. that's the benefit of going to a professional. We're not kind of Googling information and applying random things. It's, It's hyper efficient. Right. So as we mentioned earlier, audience, I hope you're taking all these wise tidbits from Janice today. So her website is www.mybodycouture.com. Is there any other way they can get in touch with you, learn more about your services? Well, I'm all over the internet. (laughs) I'm on all the things. Um, The website is kind of the portal to everywhere else. But I mean, I'm on YouTube. And I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Twitter and I write for Elephant Journal and I am on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. But the, I mean, the two major sites for sure where I'm, I'm constantly on there and can, and, and most easily accessible or definitely email through my website. So I said two, but it's actually three email on my website or Facebook or Instagram. All right, guys, so you heard it here. Go check out her website. That is the portal to all the other portals where you can connect with her. If you want to learn more about her and see what she's about in terms of her services, definitely recommend it. Her site is amazing. And her story, again, is so inspiring. You can learn more on her website. Janice, any last comments you want to provide to the audience? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm a normal person. My parents were farmers. I didn't And when I say that, I just mean I didn't have somebody to put in calls and get me jobs. And so Mm -hmm. I think I really look at this from the perspective of if I can do this, you can do this. And it takes a lot of resilience. It takes a lot of grit. It takes a lot of internal resourcing. But it doesn't take some kind of special circumstance. I'm a lone parent. (laughs) You know, that only 5% of of single parent owned female led businesses last for five years. And I am one of them, but it is, it's really, I think comes down to that 
mindset and emotional work mm-hmm. that I've done, but it isn't something that's out of reach for other people. It is not some special benefit that I, that I was granted. Um, it really is because I did that hard work. I had those coaches and that support and I went through that, that really difficult, you know, digging through the basement, but I just, I mean, I can't say it enough times. If, if this is possible for me, this is possible for you. Thank you so much, Janice, for joining me today, for sharing your story and offering these tidbits of wisdom. Um, I'm fully in support of what you're putting out there. I'm sending positive energy your way for more success in your business. Guys, seriously, go check her out, uh, mybodycouture.com. And as I always say, preparation, accountability, execution, and resolve are keys to your success. Once again, Janice, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Take care. 